Well, again, good morning and welcome to One Life Community Church. My name is Greg and I'm one of the co-lead pastors here. And we are delighted that we are able to stay connected um, even when we have to be physically uh, distant. And so we're thankful that you've taken the time and made the space to join with us this morning and engage uh, with God together. I do want to highlight our online platform, uh, which can be found at uh, www.onelifeseattle.org slash live. Um, I want to highlight it because it's got lots of cool stuff there for you. It's got access to our online prayer team, uh, that uh, online connection card, a Bible tab, and lots of other things that are designed to just help make your uh, online engagement this morning a really good experience. So uh, please check that out if you can. If not, if you're connected some other way through YouTube or Facebook and that works better for you, please uh, stay there and enjoy that. We just want you to be connected. We're just super happy that we're able to do that. So with that, let's pray and then we'll get on with the rest of our morning. God, I give you great thanks for this day and for your presence in our lives. Lord, I'm thankful that you meet us uh, where we're at and not just, not just in a way that is like our, our, our inner person, um, but, but physically, God. You meet with us in space and in places, um, and, and we get to know you um, in those ways. And so I give you thanks uh, for how you meet us holistically as a whole person. Um, I ask today that you would speak to us uh, and that we would hear uh, clearly uh, from you, that we would sense where you're leading and guiding, uh, but most of all, sense your presence with us. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, um, we are working through this uh, sermon series that's called Embodied Presence. Um, and, and each time we've been trying to kind of go through the, the makeup of this and, and just to kind of show you the, the sort of the building blocks of this series. And so, we kind of started it, and as we were thinking about it, um, we wanted to connect with our vision and, uh, and the mission statement that we have, and that, if you remember, is tied to our name, One Life Community Church, and so we kind of built this series out of that, and the way it works is we took that word one life that's part of our name, and as it's reflected in our mission statement, that there's a fullness of life that comes from the life of the triune God or the Trinity. And as we went through that, we talked about relationship, prayer, and participation. And then we moved on to community, that there's a fullness of life that comes from being rooted in and serving in our neighborhoods, in place. And so uh, we talked about place. Today we're going to talk about serving in place, and then next week we're going to talk about hospitality. And then the last three weeks of this series, we'll look, be looking at church, and that there's a fullness of life found in being the church. And the phrase we've always used with that is that we're the church, nothing more and nothing less. And so there we're going to talk about what it means to remember and to tell the story, what it means to worship, and then what it means to have mission. Um, or uh, kind of purpose. And so um, those, that's kind of how we built this series. And today, um, we're going to be looking at um, part two in the, in the section on community. Um, and that, again, there's this reality that there's a fullness of life that exists in being rooted in communities. Um, and when we think of that, we often think of it... Uh, in a limited way. We often think of it as, as specifically about the people that we are with, and that's certainly a part of it, but it also has to do with place, the physical places 
that we are in, the actual geographical area that our bodies and persons exist in. And last week, Rich helped us explore this reality that God had placed each of us in the spaces we are, in our countries, cities, neighborhoods, jobs, schools, homes, etc., um, and that God had done that with an intended purpose that we would care for and cultivate in those spaces as our participation in God's redemptive work throughout all of creation. And when we look at the human story in Scripture, and I think partnered with our own everyday experience, I think we can all say that being a human being is being embodied in place. Our stories, identities, memories, and actions are all rooted in places which are simultaneously both physical and symbolic. Place, is, if, if you would, is the stage on which our lives are lived out. Place is this imaginative influence on which we can draw. And I think, in short, uh, it's one of the most basic things we experience. Again, as we look at Scripture, I think we can see that place is very significant. From the start to the finish, the Bible affirms, the biblical narrative tells this uh, reality of placedness uh, within human existence. And, and we see it right from the very start in Genesis the story of creation. We look at Genesis 2-7. It says, Then the Lord formed a human out of dust from the ground and breathed into their nostrils the breath of life. And the human being, the human became a living being. So we see that we are made up of both divine and material, right? That there's something to us that, that we exist as part of a place. And then last week, Rich reminded us that, that within that, we have to get our hands dirty, so to speak. We have to till and to keep, to cultivate and to work in. We are active and creative participants and makers in the world around us. And we see this in Genesis 1.28 where it says, And God blessed them, and God said to them, this being uh, the, the humans, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over everything living that moves in the earth. And so God gives direction to humanity. And just a, a, a quick commentary on that. Uh, the fruitful and multiply thing uh, we might be overachieving a little bit on, um, and, and maybe we should bring some balance uh, and focus some more energy on the ruling over creation. And by ruling over creation, I mean ruling in the way that God rules, this uh, desire for everything to flourish. So I'm not saying we can't have kids, but I think we need to start thinking about that uh, maybe a little differently. Uh, now, if that's going to sidetrack you, don't hang on to that thought. Come back to us, and we'll, we'll groove on some other stuff. But just some things to think about um, right in the beginning of that. As we look throughout the rest of the Old Testament, we can see that the identity of the nation of Israel is tied up in their relationship to land or specific locations. Right? We see Israel placing monuments where God has done something. So every time they come through that space, the story is told. And the space becomes sacred. It becomes special because it's honoring and remembering that God was present there in a unique way. In the incarnation, the action of God when Jesus becomes a human being. And we read this last week. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us in John 1.14. Uh, that's how the NIV states it. And then the message by Eugene Peterson and Rich highlighted this. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. Came to be with us in place. 
God moves into this place, this, this cosmos, this neighborhood with us. We read later on that God is preparing a place. And that when that time comes, the people who are going to that place don't necessarily fly away, but instead experience the fullness of that place in God's presence with us here, in newly resurrected bodies on a newly transformed heaven and earth. So it's not that we're going away someplace, but something is being transformed. And in all of this, Scripture thoroughly grounds humanity, us, right here on earth in material bodies. Well, and a lot of that was about the past. Okay, and then there's some about the future. But what about us right now? How are we doing in this idea of being embodied people in places? Um, I'd say that today much of humanity is dealing with the reality of being displaced. We have less of a sense of connection to the spaces and places we are in. And part of this is due to a reality that in Western culture, we draw more of our identity from a sense of knowing kind of where we're at in time rather than in place. We're often more concerned about uh, and draw a lot of our value from time and issues with time. This is why we find in some cultures, it's not considered a big deal if you're late or early. But in Western culture, it is considered to be rude and disrespectful if, you, disrespectful if you're either too early or late. But that's not true of all cultures. Um, one of the interesting things um, in looking at some different cultures and, and their perspectives on time, um, Native American culture, for instance, has a cyclical sense of time. And uh, Professor Caitlin Bironagi noted that it was that cyclical understanding of time that actually allowed the Native Americans to have unique connections with the land, with place, because they didn't see themselves trapped in time on a linear path. But instead, they located themselves by place. And so a certain story would have a stronger connection to a place than it would be a time, right? In, in, in a Native American lore and storytelling, it, it wouldn't be so important, oh, that happened 100 years ago. It would certainly have happened in the past, but it wouldn't need to be placed that way. It's more important that it's noted where it happened. And then that place has a different sacredness to it. Another author, when writing on the, the built environment of the United States, meaning uh, the cities, neighborhoods, etc., that humanity is responsible for, uh, said the following. And I don't have this on a slide. I just want you to hear it. Um, I'm going to get a drink of water first because my mouth is dry. If I stepped off camera, sorry, I didn't run away. Um, here's the quote, though. The immersive ugliness of the built environment in the USA is entropy made visible. It indicates not simple carelessness, but a vivid drive toward destruction, decay, and death. The stage set of a literal death trip of a society determined to remove itself from existence. Far from being a mere matter of aesthetic, suburbia represents a compound economic catastrophe, ecological debacle, political nightmare, and spiritual crisis. For a nation... Uh, of people conditioned to spend their lives in places not worth caring about. It is a living arrangement with no future. 
It represents a gigantic legacy of sunken costs and investments that have transformed themselves into liabilities. And it is the nature of sunken costs to provoke in people a psychology of previous investment. That having sunk much of our accumulated collective wealth in this living arrangement with no future, we are afraid to let go of it or even reform it substantially. And instead, the fear of facing our gigantic losses prompts a retreat into denial and wishful thinking. Happy Sunday morning. Now, whether you totally agree with that or not, there is something to it that speaks of a feeling of being displaced, right? It, do, do, do people, does humanity feel like right now the things that we're investing in in terms of our places, are they worth keeping? Are we just hanging on to something because it's all we know and we're just trying to survive? Are we building into something? But all of it contributes into this feeling of being displaced, of looking for home, a place to belong, a place to thrive and flourish. And I don't mean in the sense of being super wealthy. I mean in the sense of growing and flourishing and what it means to be human on planet Earth, right here and right now, for every person. And I think we can see the significance of place and home by the way we make and identify with places, and I think it's an important issue. But is that it? Is it just, okay, that's the way it is, and it's really bad, and it doesn't feel great, or is there something we can do, or is there a way out of this? Uh, Professor of theology uh, at at, uh, Point University, Jennifer Allen Croft, says this, uh, being at home or in place is a primary issue in Christian scripture. The Israelites suffered from displacedness, being exiled from their land and losing their primary place of worship. The Israelites had to reevaluate their relationship to God and to each other. Their method of being at home in the land was not what God had envisioned for them, so God uprooted them in order that they may learn the actual significance of home and homemaking, among other things. And so in Scripture, we find people who are displaced, not just feeling displaced, but are displaced, as much as the case for much of humanity today, I think. And so what did they do? What was their response in that situation? In exile, their places of worship gone for them. And it's interesting to me that this verse, um, thanks to, really thanks to Brian, our worship director, has been bubbling around in our community, in this church for a while, and it's from Jeremiah 29, four through seven, and Brian has, has preached on this and has come up several times, and it really has been present in our community. So I wanna read that. This is, how Israel, this is how God told Israel to respond in the midst of that displacement. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters and wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. God told them to live in place, where they were, to pray for and work for the prospering of the place they were in, the place that they were in exile in. 
I think this has huge things to tell us about what it means to engage in and live in and serve in the spaces and places we're in. I think it has to do with remembering. Right? Do we know the places we're in? Do we know our own stories? Do we know our stories in those places? And what it requires is that we become observers, that we become listeners and participants in the places we're in. The idea here is that we don't want to come into a place and act as if nothing ever existed there until we got there. That there's history and life that has happened there, that God has been at work there before our arrival there. And to best understand and serve and love in place, we have to understand what has happened there and how to best engage with and honor that. It requires that we know the people, the other image bearers of God who are in those places, and that we see and learn and live with and from them, realizing that all people have something to offer, including us. And then we work with people collaboratively to bring flourishing to everyone that we can. And that requires prayer. We have to be praying for the people and the places we're in. Some of us go on prayer walks. Right, if that's, if that's available to us. Some of us just pray as we're going through our day through the different places we're in. Some of us, we pray for those places when we are at home. But are we praying for the places that we're in? And not just praying that they would change to become the way we want them, but are we praying for the flourishing, for the prospering of those places? Now, this idea of, of coming in and trying to attend to a place well um, is not something that uh, the church has always been good at. It's not something that our country has always been good at. We have typically seen things as ours for the taking, regardless of who and what has existed there before us. And that a significant part of American history and lots of other histories and cultures has been built off of taking from others and using people. This is what happened in America with the displacement of the Native Americans. It's what happened with the enslavement of Africans in America and is still happening as people of color are being used and treated as less than. And this along with discrimination and hate based on gender, sexuality, age, socioeconomic status, persons with, with physical and mental disabilities, and much more. And that's not the way of the kingdom of God. That's not the way we are invited to live and serve in place. And so when we moved to this place, we tried to think about how do we not come in and take over? Right? We're not trying to stage a coup. We're not trying to, to, to sort of take over the neighborhood. We decided we wanted to move in and be neighbors. As Rich, I think, mentioned last week, this is one of the reasons why we decided not to try and put a coffee shop in our building. Because the neighborhood has several coffee shops. And how does it how does it help the neighborhood flourish if we start one and take business away from local businesses here? Why don't we just go to those coffee shops was what we thought. And in going to those coffee shops, we've made a ton of connections 
to people in the neighborhood, and we've heard the stories of the neighborhood, both the past and the present. We've heard the hopes for the neighborhood, and we've participated in the neighborhood through our interactions at just one coffee shop at Cafe Javasti. Because once you begin to know the place you're in and you begin to allow yourself to be known, then you can begin to serve. Next door to Cafe Javasti, there was a, a nail and hair salon, and it was in a double-wide uh, trailer. And several years ago, that closed. And they left a sign on the place saying, if you take the place away, you can have it. So someone did. That seemed like a great deal. And so there was just this empty lot there, and it was uh, getting overgrown and, and was just abandoned. And so Rich and I um, were in this uh, certification program through the Seattle School of Theology and Psychology called Leadership in the New Parish, and we were learning a lot about what it means to be faithfully present and kind of these things about neighborhood and place. And we felt like this, ah, this urge, what could we do with that place? It's just sitting there. And so we decided, let's make it like an outdoor seating place. Okay, but before we do that, let's talk to the businesses around there and see if they feel like that's a good idea. Do the, do the people in the neighborhood feel like that's a good idea? Um, in the process, we found out we need to talk to the city before you do stuff on city property. Um, and so they wanted to know what we were doing. Um, and, uh, you know, and we also learned that the city was going to build a park there which we realized, okay, so we've got at least 10 years because, you know, the city doesn't always just get on things right away. So we had some time. And so after talking to some businesses and some neighbors, uh, the city communicated to us, don't do anything too crazy because uh, we don't want you to build something that everyone's going to really like. And then when we come in with our idea, they're going to be mad at us because we changed it. And so we said, don't worry, we'll try not to build something that everyone's going to really like. Um, but then we decided we did want to build something that everyone really likes, but tried not to make it something that would be too difficult to, to lose. And so um, we uh, took a weed eater, and we cleared the space, and then we brought two picnic tables and two garbage cans. Uh, some of the owners of the businesses right there said they'd help maintain the garbage, and so people started sitting there outside, uh, having coffee, eating lunch, um, and then the, put, the city put up this kind of parking barrier, these logs around it that kind of sectioned it off more and made it so it didn't feel like cars could potentially drive right in there and helped sort of secure it as a, no, this is a spot to hang out. This is a spot to sit. And so now we kind of felt like, ah, oh, we're actually partnering with the city. Um, and then uh, after that, we had a work day and a work team that went and filled in a bunch of big potholes in the parking lot area for for the businesses right there that surrounded this this little area um and then the city decided that our benches because our our picnic tables were starting to warp and tweak and they 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 were getting pretty dangerous i think they'd be easy for someone to fall and uh they, they weren't as stable as they used to be and so the city took them away um, but then someone who worked at Cafe Javasti, one of the baristas, who was a wellness coach, was connected to a, a group who was working uh, to promote social justice and, and, to, and to fight against uh, racism um, and, and other things going on in the world. And so they put up this big mural in the back of that area. Um, 
and uh, that was talking about uh, battling racism and, and honoring people of color who had, uh, who had suffered under that. Um, and so that was up there. And then once COVID started and we were in lockdown, some folks decided, well, we can meet outdoors, so we're going to meet there. And they meet there every morning at 7.30. And they have for like two years now. Um, and they're there every morning, at least three of them, but sometimes up to eight or ten of them. Someone even brought a Christmas tree and put lights on it. When they'd meet there in the morning, they'd plug the Christmas tree in, and you could see it. They put chairs and benches and built little tables out of log rounds. So we're, we're like working together with people. We're participating. Maybe not all at the same time, but this little thing that started out of let's put two picnic tables has turned into, for, for the people who meet there every day, these are new friends that they've found and built friendships over through one of the hardest times for them. That's a really beautiful thing. And our church has been a part of that. Now sometimes, so it's an example of sort of working in a space in the neighborhood, <clears throat> but sometimes you might not be able to, to change a space like that. Um, when I was a campus pastor at the University of Washington, one of the challenges was that um, when I first started there, it was hard to secure a room that you could have year after year, and it's actually fairly important for a campus ministry because you're trying to establish that so we meet in the same place every week, every year, and, and it's easy to find and, uh, and all that. But it was hard to secure a place year after year. And then as, as uh, I started moving towards the end of my uh, ministry career there, um, it was hard to secure a place month to month and sometimes even week to week. And so our place could change quite a bit. Uh, so it meant we were putting up new posters, trying to say, oh, we're meeting here this week, um, and, and all kinds of things. But one of the things we did, because it was, it was difficult for students to come in and, and sort of have memories of, oh yeah, when we were worshiping last week and that person stood up over there and said this and it, was, it changed my life, or, or that song we sang, or that moment I had this conversation with the person, these kind of God moments that we often tie to places. And so what we did was we made this big tapestry that we could take with us. Now, I'm going to put a picture up, and I want you to know, uh, now living in the future, um, this, this picture came, this tapestry was made before the Lord of the Rings movies came out, um, and so we didn't know about the Eye of Sauron before that, so just be aware of that. This is a picture of it, and you can see in the middle of it, it looks like the Eye of Sauron. So we wouldn't have done that after that came out, but... Um, what this was is it was, a, it was a picture that was trying to sort of capture the idea of, of God in the cosmos. Um, and those white spots that you see all around it, those are um, lyrics to songs and, and uh, even like the lead sheets with the chords, they're scripture verses and poems that the students put on there. Um, and, and the way we did it um, was we, uh, there's this embossing method that you can do where you uh, put the picture on there, reverse, and then you, you paint this embossing stuff on it, and then you peel it off, and it leaves this imprint on there. And then it was covered, so that could be walked on, it was waterproof, um, and we could take it anywhere. And so any room we were in, we could unroll that, and for the students and for us, it was like, oh yeah, yeah, this is our place. 
We had it outside when we did our tables each week, out in the hub lawn and out in the the walkways. We'd bring it and set it off to the side, and it was always a a reminder for our students, like, no, this this is with us. This is who we are, and if they wanted to sing and someone had a guitar, there were guitar chords on there, and so it was was just a great way uh, for us to kind of bring something of home with us, and so sometimes we make meaning in the places we're in by bringing something with us that putting this out on the on the the walkway or on the floor in the room we were in did not damage the room did not tear down the room did not take over the room it was just a way of us being present in the room um, that that was helpful and so again that might be something that 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 we could do Uh, another example Um, some of you know the story of how Angie and I uh, were miraculously able to purchase a house in Wallingford in the summer of 2000 Uh, the picture you see on the right is the house the picture on the left is our first group of students lived with us we were in our house one day um, before students started moving in with us Um, and for the next 14 years after that we had anywhere from five to at 1.7 college students living with us Um, But we moved in uh, with this vision of having a community house for students uh, to live in uh, with us. And uh, the house, as it was lovingly known, was built in 1917, and it was a fulfillment of a dream that God had given to Angie and I. Oops, sorry. Um, One of the kids that uh, lived in the house, in the family who bought it, the house was built in 1917, his family bought it in 1923, one of the, the children that grew up in that house, in that family, got in touch with us in 2004. And uh, they said that their dad, the, the gentleman who bought the house, had written letters to his mom every week. And, and they found a bunch of these letters. And she went through and found all the letters that said anything about the house and photocopied those and, uh, and sent them to us. And they were super interesting to read. We learned all kinds of things about the, the foliage of the house, and there were plants that he mentioned. I was like, I don't know what this is or where it was at, um, but also the, the struggles that, that they went through to be a young couple um, and purchasing a house and, uh, and even uh, things about Seattle, historical things going on in Seattle. Um, but uh, in the process of this, they also asked if um, they could uh, stop by and visit the house. Um, and she was a super delightful uh, person and had more wonderful stories to tell us about the house. But after her visit, she wrote uh, Angie a letter, and I wanna, I wanna read part of it uh, to you. She says, Dear Angie, thank you for the lovely note. It was exciting and fun seeing my old home again. I thought the experience might possibly be somewhat traumatic and might just cut me off at the knees, so to speak. Right? There's something going on there. There's something about place that is important. But it didn't. You're living there and making it such a positive place, bursting with living in the now, brushed all such possible reaction away. Uh, this next part is true, so I'm not making it up. Your husband is wonderful. Uh, I like that part. Um, you make up a handsome couple. Um, uh, There's so much uh, love there, um, I was thrilled, as if the old home needed so much to have love. I was surprised that it wasn't, uh, that it meant something to me. 
I guess for me, uh, since so much of my uh, mother's life was spent there, that it would, of course, uh, be significant to me. I would find it sad if it was a place of neglect and or full of misery. People you love, and this is interesting, people you love don't really belong to place, but rather to time. But still, it is so very pleasant to me that the one place uh, has the likes of you both. Um, and so she's writing about the significance of place, that if the place would have been different, would have been a certain way, it would have been hard. But she was delighted to find that the place, and it wasn't that the house hadn't changed, the house had changed a ton, but what she was delighted about was that it was filled with love and positive Now, the great thing in each of those, so there's a, there's a different one. There's neighborhood. There's sort of taking something with you that can help a place. You can make meaning in a place. And then there's what you do in your own home and what that can mean to, to people who are currently there and people who were there before. Um, but the great thing is that in each of these, God was moving in those places, and, and, and different people participated with God and with other people, and it wasn't a, a, a taking over. I just want to emphasize that, that we're not talking about, like, taking over, although at times the mission of the church has been seen that way. That is not what I'm talking about, but it was learning and growing with people and discovering where God was already moving in those places. Uh, if I can invite the worship team to come up, we're going to um, move on. Uh, and in just a moment, I'm going to pray. Then we'll close with a song and a benediction. I do want to remind you that the prayer team is going to be available. Um, and I do have a couple of questions uh, that I want to ask you. Um, and and uh, so we'll ask those questions, then I'll pray, and then we'll do the, the rest of the stuff. Uh, but first, I want to ask you, um, where are the places you're a part of? This could be your home, could be a room in your home, could be your school, could be the street you walk in, the vehicle you travel in, the store you shop at, the park you play at, that one mini-mart, you or maybe me, goes to, to buy Mountain Dew when I want it. Wherever it is, what are the place or places that you are in? Secondly, what can you learn from those places? What's the history of that place? What's the story of that place? Right? What, how does that impact how we can move and, and serve in those places? And then lastly, how can you serve in those places? Right? Listening to the characters in those places, engaging with the people in those places, observing the monuments that either others or you have made in those places. What then are the things we can do to serve in those places? Uh, and with that, let's pray. Dear God, uh, I just give you thanks again, um, Lord, that you have created a place and you have seen and continue to see, I believe, it is very good. And you have given us the charge as human beings to care for this place well and care for each other in it well. I pray you would make us good listeners, observers, 
that we would be able to attend well to the people around us who are hurting and the places around us that are hurting. God, that we'd be able to bring healing, that we'd be able to, to participate with you as you redeem and lift up all people. God, I pray that areas where there is hatred and hurt, both for people and for place, and I pray you bring healing. Holy Spirit, I pray you move and shift hearts. Yeah, God, help us to walk with you um, well in the places that we are. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.